Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What every female needs to know about her finances. From practicing financial self-defense, getting started in investing, and bridging the gender pay and pensions gap. In this special issue of the FT Money podcast, we will be covering all of these and more. Welcome to The Money Show. I'm Claire Barrett, personal finance editor at The Financial Times. I brought together our all-star, all-female lineup today following the reaction to my FT Money column last weekend. In it, I listed six financial mistakes that women needed to avoid, and it provoked a huge reaction from female and male readers. So although today's show is designed with our female listeners in mind, that is not to say that our male listeners should switch off. Oh no, many of these life lessons may well be relevant to you, not to mention the women in your own lives. And as I said in the article, prevention is much better than cure, so it's important for us all to spread the word. So what will we be talking about today? First up, I'm joined by the US writer and author Paulette Perhatch, a woman who has blazed a trail across the personal finance stratosphere in America since her controversially titled article about female financial empowerment went viral. I was staying in situations where I knew they weren't good for me and it was because I didn't have enough money to get out of them. Avoiding debt and building up a good buffer of cash savings is a very important goal. But too much cash can also be a bad thing. Here to teach us how we could put our cash to better use is Moira O'Neill, Head of Personal Finance at Interactive Investor. What we're doing is taking our hard-earned cash and we're trying to make it grow. And putting your money into the bank is simply not the best way to do that. And finally, we have lots to say about pensions. Helen Morrissey, pensions expert at Royal London, completes our studio lineup. As well as sharing some worrying facts about pensions and divorce, she also has important news about child benefit for any parents who are listening. By choosing not to claim child benefit, you could be having an impact on your state pension entitlement. So today we're going to start with a bang and be warned, a bit of bad language. Specifically, a fuck-off fund. The US writer Paulette Perhatch wrote a very famous article called The Story of a Fuck-Off Fund for the US personal finance website, The Billfold. In it, she tells the story of what could have happened in a young woman's life and what perhaps should have happened. And the difference between the happy ending and a rather unhappier one is having the discipline to save a pot of money, the ubiquitous fuck-off fund, although it could equally be called a rainy day fund or even a running away fund, although if it had, I suspect the article would not have gone viral. 
but it gives you the option to tell a bad partner or a creepy boss to do one if you've managed to save up some financial defences. Now, it's three years since Paulette's article was first published, and I'm very pleased to have introduced it to a new British audience because I mentioned it in my FT Money column last week. And I'm really thrilled to welcome none other than Paulette Perhatch herself on the line from Seattle now. Welcome to the FT Money podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's the pleasure is all ours, but the power of your writing has inspired women all over the world to practice financial self-defence. You just have to Google um, the story of a fuck or fund and the articles that you've written and that others have been inspired to write in your own blog site. It's just a real phenomenon. But for people listening who haven't read the article, could you give them perhaps the condensed story? Sure. It was basically came out of my experiences first going through similar experiences where, you know, I knew the kind of woman I wanted to be. And suddenly I found myself acting in ways where I was staying in situations where I knew they weren't good for me. And it was because I didn't have enough money to get out of them. And then later in life, after those experiences, I had a few thousand dollars in banks for the first time and kind of replayed how they would have gone if I had had that money and realize how important it really is to have the money that you need so that no one has control over your life. And I love your sign-off to the article. That's a better story. It's a story no one ever told me. It's the kind I'd hope for you. And you've since started your own blog, as I said, telling people, you know, how they can build this account. You say in the original articles, keep living like you lived as a broke student, drive the decade old Civic, even after the fender falls off, buy the thrift store clothes, waitress on Saturdays, even though you work full time Monday to Friday, make do with the garage sale coffee table. I mean, this is all great advice. Yeah. And, you know, I'm actually standing in a brand new apartment that I moved into and I have this vision of how I want it to be you know I want it to be this Pinterest apartment and we're sitting here you know using the old desk that we had as our dining room table and you know I'm I'm still struggling with those disciplines because you know if you live in a city there's a lot of temptations and I'm bad with money and I'm a writer so um you know it's just because I had this article go viral didn't make me automatically good with money and amazing and so you know it's it's remembering constantly this, these priorities and constantly trying to make sure that you have the most important needs covered. And I think financial, your freedom to find a new job or to move if you need to are the most important things. And I think people listening might be very surprised to hear you admit so freely that you think that you're bad with money. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's so funny. It's like physician heal thyself where you hear about how gardeners, are actually like their own gardens are terrible or nurses are very unhealthy. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have written about these issues if they weren't issues that that I struggled with. And you can hear me um, on the Paula Pant Afford Anything podcast, if anyone listens to that. Um, you know, we just went through like 90 minutes of my financial history. And, you know, even saying, hey, even after this article went so viral, I can't believe it's still this issue, but it's just caused me to dig deeper and deeper and, you know, we take it's kind of like the obesity epidemic, I feel, the, the financial crisis that a lot of people go through where we have so much personal, we feel so much personal failure, but there are 
you know, companies spending millions of dollars um, on things such as something called neuromarketing, mm-hmm. where they're, you know, hacking into our brains with MRI machines to see, like, how they can tap into our most primal instincts and make us spend. And it's stuff that people didn't have to deal with in the 50s, you know. So I think it's so important that we all talk more about money because on such a huge level, it's not working for so many people the way that we are now, where it's this, supposed to be this hush-hush topics when we all walk around in personal shame about our own financial situations, when really it's something that so many people struggle with. Well, the position that I'm in as the FT Money Editor, I go and talk at a lot of events, and I've talked at various events recently where women have been the, the prime audience. And people mm-hmm. have come up to me afterwards, not wanting to ask a question where others will see, and have said, one example recently... Claire, I've got £20,000 worth of credit card debt. I've got a really good mm. job. I earn fifty or £60,000 a year, but I just don't quite know how this has happened. And mm-hmm. it's costing me so much money and I, I don't know what to do. And it's it's like you say, it kind of the lifestyle creep, if you like. It does creep up on you. And it's very, very easy, especially as a woman, I think, to spend lots of money because nobody ever says no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the number one thing is tell your friends. You know, and and tell your friends again when it happens again. Like when I for my thirtieth birthday, I, I was debt free. So I was like, "Woo, debt free!" And now I'm like, "Now I'm in debt again." Like, what happened? You know. So like, again, you got to go to your friends and be like, "Hey, can we do you know dinner at home?" And um, my best friend and I have like a standing slumber party every Friday with her three year old. You know, like that's that's my party, and you know. But I definitely also spend when I'm out, and um, you know, living in a city, it's like you can easily drop. 12 bucks on a drink. So you just have to be so careful. And I think getting your friends on board and being open about it is really the key. And, you know, I do some speaking as well. And I I did a talk about fuck off funds and have really expanded it to different ideas about ways in which women can get power. Like even if you're not feeling financially powerful, you can be powerful in your community. So I encourage people during my talk to make kind of an abuse evacuation plan and to have that friend that you know, like this friend, you know, you ask her, if I'm ever in an abusive situation, could I crash to your place for a month? And, you know, you have the skills to get another job. Like it's a whole, it's a whole system of really understanding power. And it doesn't have to be financial. So much of it is in community as well. And I think we forget a lot of that in Western culture. So community is huge too. Absolutely. And I would argue, and I think you'd agree, that it's not just women who necessarily need help with these issues. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think I'm a woman, so that was a perspective that it came through, and women are more likely to be financially vulnerable because we earn less. But So that was my audience that I kind of had in mind, but certainly men need it as well. And I think everyone kind of needs that um, integrity fund as well i saw it with these the documentary on the fire festival oh yes i enjoyed that one you know where you saw that the more he needed money the crazier his scheme got so everyone needs a little backup plan yeah we we should say for anybody who doesn't have a netflix subscription the program that they made about the fire festival spelled f-y-r-e was all about the story of how businessman with a with a vision um, but perhaps not the ability to bank his own checks came up with the idea of this super lifestyle instagrammable festival um lots of people paid to buy a ticket and then when the push came to shove there wasn't really 
any festival to speak of and lots of people <laughs> lost their money but it's a great example of you know the instagram generation and how people feel such pressure to consume and to document their purchases and the kind of lifestyle that they're leading well thank you so much paulette perhatch for joining us on the ft money podcast if you want to read more of paulette's fantastic writings you can go to her blog site fuckofffund.com i don't think we've ever had so many expletives on an ft podcast and for that paulette we thank you you're welcome my contribution to society putting the f back in the ft money Failing to build up an adequate cash buffer is one of the six mistakes I wrote about, but loving cash too much is another. HMRC statistics show us that women tend to favour cash ices, where interest rates have failed to outplace inflation for many years, and are less likely than men to save regularly into a stocks and shares ISA. Many women who tweeted about my column said they wanted to know more about investing, but they didn't know where to start. For example, Twitter follower Full Beam said, Being too fond of cash is my problem. I currently have a year's worth of salary in premium bonds, but I'm too scared to move any of it to shares. I just don't know enough about it to get started. Well, thanks to Full Beam and others who got in touch expressing similar sentiments, but who better, frankly, to turn to for some guidance than Moira O'Neill, FT Money investment columnist and head of personal finance at Interactive Investor. Welcome, Moira. Hi, Claire. So regardless of your gender for a minute, why is investing important for long-term savers? What we're doing is taking our hard-earned cash and we're trying to make it grow. And putting your money into the bank is simply not the best way to do that. All of us would like to achieve financial independence, and we'd like to get there quickly, or as quickly as possible. And what, whether financial independence means you've got freedom to um, change jobs, or to downscale, or to retire entirely. Lots of people have different views of that. Everyone wants to grow their money quickly. And leaving your money in a low interest bank account, because quite frankly, most of them are low interest where we are at the moment, is not going to get your money to grow beyond inflation. I'm afraid the stock market is the only way to beat inflation to get your that long term growth. Um, and you know, whatever your goals, be it saving for your first home, saving for retirement, investment has been proven time and time again to be the best way to build up that pot of money for your future. The stats show us that women are less likely to invest than men, but they don't tell us why. What's your theory? Well, I think there's lots of things at play here. Women have lots of barriers to investing. We, we hear people talking about lack of confidence or willingness to engage and even the time to do it. The person you quoted on Twitter said, I don't know how to do it. Mm. And I think women want to know before they get started. Um, Generalising here, but maybe men like can get started without knowing quite so much they have much more confidence to just dive straight in i don't think we need to have things like pink brochures or female advisors out there definitely not i think women (laughs) just want jargon-free friendly communications the industry doesn't tend to be good at that and you know we really need to ditch all the investment jargon and acronyms and start talking more in plain english to encourage people to do it and to get the confidence to do it I think it's important not to rely on yourself. Women 
some women will still be relying on a man, which strikes me with horror. I don't think you should be doing that at all. I think you should have your own savings pot. Even if you can only do £10 a month, you should get started and build that up gradually. Once you've got to a lump sum, you can start investing it. Some investment places will let you get started with £25 a month, which if you ditch a a few of your luxuries in life, uh, most people can achieve that. And over time, you'll end up with a decent sum. Well, good advice there. But for anyone listening, thinking, great, I've got £25 a month. How do I get started? What's the kind of checklist of things in their head that they should run through? I think you should know what you can afford to invest, how long you can put it away for. Now, if you can afford to put it away for five years or more, you really should be investing because if you can lock your money away for that time, um, history tells us that that's probably the best thing to do is to get into the stock market. If you can lock it away for 10 years, then really absolutely go for it and um, even go for something maybe a bit more risky than you would normally go for. I do think when when women, the women that we see investing, an interactive investor, um, when they actually get engaged with this stuff and they start investing, they don't tend to invest differently to the men. Mm. So it's just a question of getting over that first hurdle. There's no such thing as women do it dramatically differently. Um, Although I have to say there may be some evidence that women do it more sensibly. Ah. So they go for things like uh, there's a small amount of evidence we have that that women go for investment trusts, which actually are one of the city's best kept secrets. They're a type of fund and all the evidence shows that they perform slightly better over time than other types of funds. So wise choices, ladies, there. You need to start with a fund. I know a lot of men will go in and particularly younger men we see going for like oil and gas stocks and getting all excited about the stock market. But I think generally a beginner investor should be starting with a fund, particularly if you're starting with small amounts, because your money's pooled with that of other investors and you'll get a um, diversified portfolio a spread of it lots and lots of different investments with this relatively small amount of money and that means if the stock market bombs you're less likely to to lose out uh, over the short term whereas picking say one share in i don't know Ocado, M&S, that could be really great or really risky. So there's a, a big chance that things could go badly wrong but if you're in a fund then it's spread out across absolutely many different asset and classes. tracker funds um, yes, tell us what really a tracker good. fund is, because lots of people don't know. Tracker funds are a means to get into the stock market and to track the performance of a stock market index. Now, I'm aware I'm talking in jargon as I even say that, but the most common one is the FTSE 100 index. So that's the biggest companies listed on the London Stock Exchange. And when you put your money into that, it will just perform in line with all of those companies there's no trying to do better but as a result there's no risk of doing worse than those companies so I think they're a really good way in they tend to be really low cost as well and keeping your costs low as an investor is a really important thing um, one of the ones that we really I really like is the Vanguard life strategy range it's super low cost it's globally diversified around the world and your money is also spread between uh, stock market investments, um, investments in companies and also investments in bonds which perform differently and so your risk is spread out. Mm. Um, and I think that those life strategy funds are a really great way for some, a beginner to get started. A great point there about the life strategy funds. It's not just Vanguard who do them. All kinds of asset managers, including BlackRock, do so too. We'll give a link to an FT Money piece after we've published the podcast. 
But investors who are looking to keep the tax advantage on their investments will keep their holdings within a stocks and shares ISA very easy to set up via a platform. But women are also the most likely people who will open a junior ISA account, just because it's something that mothers do, HMRC tells us. But they also tend to put cash in them rather than stocks and shares. And considering these accounts are designed to be kept invested for 18 years or more, that jars with what you were saying earlier about long-term horizons. It certainly does. And I have to say, I've seen a lot of women opening children's savings accounts and junior ISAs before they get their own pensions and ISAs sorted out. So I would say don't prioritise the children over your own long-term financial future if you can. I know as a mother's instinct is to do that, but um, you need to get everything sorted together. And But the, you know, if you're going to invest into, into a junior ISA, you're right, Claire, you need to think about you've got 18 years potentially for that money to grow. And during that time period, you should be investing in the stock market. Um, I mean, even saving £100 a month for 18 years could turn out a pot of um, money at the end worth £35,000. And on that, I'm basing that on getting a 5% um, annual return after charges, which is the kind of about the average you would expect from a stock market investment. You may even get more than that, which means that child will be completely sorted for university. If you kept it in the bank, um, you'd have very little indeed to show. 18 years is plenty of time to ride out any bumps in the stock market. I think the children should be put into something that's inv- invested globally around the world, not just the UK. They're going to be probably grow up to be citizens of the world. Um, they need to have international type investments in them. So look for something called a global growth fund or a global growth investment trust. And then your children will benefit from as many opportunities around the world as possible. Popular junior ISAs that we see among our investors um, are... Uh, funds called Fundsmith Equity and Scottish Mortgage. Um, they rank top. And another one that we'd like to recommend is FNC Investment Trust, which is actually the longest running investment fund in the UK. It's still going strong. It's very, very globally diversified and it's also low cost. Well, thanks very much, Moya, for those tips. Obviously, this does not constitute individual investment advice. If you need that, you'll have to go and pay for your own independent advisor. But great to have it in the discussion. Before we move on to our next guest, I asked my followers on social media to read and share my column if they liked what they read. And I I'm really chuffed that so many of you did. Financial blogger Miss Moneypenny tweeted, Women, please read this article, particularly women in their 20s. I've made plenty of these mistakes. Claire is right. Prevention is better than cure. Well, thank you, Miss Moneypenny. FT reader Lynn Spencer tweeted, Us ladies need your insights as life is so hectic and full, we neglect the important stuff. Bills on what Moira was saying earlier. And the FT online commentator Herbie, who I sense is a man, complained, I wait for the FT headline, six costly mistakes that men make. Well, Herbie, I wouldn't rule it out as a future column. And finally, Kalpana Fitzpatrick, the financial journalist who has been writing in Good Housekeeping magazine this month about the worrying number of women who are in the dark about pension savings, go Kalpana, tweeted, Claire, you nail it when you say money is a feminist issue. It is, it is. And thanks for the shout out. Well, Good Housekeeping's research, as mentioned in my column, found that an alarming number of women were drifting towards a financially insecure future as they lacked knowledge about pensions, which seems a good point to bring in my third guest, Helen Morrissey, pensions expert at Royal London. Welcome to the show, Helen. Hello. So 
This month's magazine found that three quarters of women had, I quote, no idea about how much pension income they actually needed to retire. And nearly half of the readers said that they would be relying solely on the state pension, currently worth just over £8,000 per year, as they couldn't afford to pay into another pension. Does this worry you? It worries me a lot. The idea that people are entering retirement um, relying solely on the state pension is quite a worry. You know, £8,000 a year doesn't get you very much beyond paying your bills. I think the results of this survey kind of shows the challenges that many people or women face when saving for retirement. So if you look at people's working patterns, for instance, women are more likely to work part time. Mm. They earn less so they can contribute less to a pension. They're more likely to kind of take career breaks as well. And all this is going to have a massive impact on how much you can put away, you know, for retirement over the long term. We've got policies like auto enrolment, which have been great in bringing more women into you know, the pensions arena, but we've still got a long way to go before we get women feeling kind of financially secure with their pensions. And of course, the danger is that women could reach retirement age, as we've seen with the WASPy women who thought they'd reach retirement age and find to their horror that they don't have enough money and they lack the time to earn it. So to avoid that happening, can you give some tips to women who are listening to the podcast thinking, how can I get started with pension savings? I think the clue is in my job title, pension specialist. I love pensions. I think there's so many um, hidden benefits to them that people don't recognise. Um, so first of all, with a pension, you get tax relief. So for every, if you're a basic rate taxpayer and, you know, for every £100 that's gone into your pension, that's been topped up. You've only put in £80 of that. The government's topped that up by £20. That's free money. Also, if you're saving into a workplace pension scheme, you're going to get employer um, contributions on top of that as well. And that can all add up and make a really, really big you know, difference to your retirement part over the long term. And I think if people understood the benefits of saving into a pension, they would be more likely to do so. I'd also like to echo something that Moira said earlier mm. on in that, you know, you were saying not to rely on anybody else for your savings and investments. I think sometimes if you're with a partner who may earn more than you, might have a great pension plan, it can be quite easy to say, OK, I'll just rely on them. I'm sorted. But then if that relationship was to, was to break down, people can find themselves in real difficulties as they approach retirement. So I'd always kind of say to people, always try and make your own provision as much as possible. Okay, so start with a company pension if you can. But pensions and divorce is another tricky issue that Royal London has been looking into. Tell us what your research has found. Yeah, so basically what we've kind of found is that women have sort of become the pensions poor relation when it comes to divorce. So if you think about it, when people are going through a divorce and you're going through all the financial assets, um, it's easy to think about the here and now, the tangible, where you're going to live, you're trying to sort out property wealth, maybe other investments. Um, and what often is overlooked is the role of pensions. And if you're, you know, if there's, say, for instance, a final salary pension there, it could be worth many hundreds of thousands of pounds. And not to think about that in a divorce settlement um, could potentially leave you really poorly, you know, much worse off in the future. So what we've kind of said is that if you are going through such a difficult time and having a divorce, 
you and the people that advise you, solicitors, etc., have a role to play here in making sure that pensions are part of that discussion. Uh, we looked through some stats that have come out recently and we saw that divorced women tend to have around half the property wealth of, their, of, of married couples. But when we looked at pensions wealth, it was less than a third of that. So it does show that it's not being given maybe the priority that it should be uh, when it comes to divorce discussions. And finally, Helen, we promised listeners who are parents some information about child benefit that may surprise them. Yes, so did you know that by choosing not to claim child benefit, you could be having an impact on your state pension entitlement? Um, So I think it was back in 2013, uh, child benefit became means tested. So if you or your partner earned more than 50,000 a year, the amount that you were entitled to under child benefit started to be chipped away. So by the time you hit about 60,000 a year, um, your entitlement was effectively gone. Now, you could still get that money, but what tended to happen was that you would have to repay it back when it came to filling in your self-assessment tax return every January. So as you can imagine, a lot of people thought, well, this is a bit of a faff. I'm not going to do it. So people stopped claiming child benefits. Now, what people didn't realise is that if you claim child benefits, that gives you a national insurance credit that then counts towards your state pension entitlement. Um, so what we've effectively had is you know, women that may have been you know, out of the workplace for a few years are missing out on state pensions. So the way the system currently is, is that you can only backdate that for three months. Mm. But if you're, you know, a stay at home mum, you could have missed out on years and years worth of you know, national insurance contributions. So we actually launched a petition late last year calling on the government to um, change this backdating to allow people to backdate further back um, and also to kind of highlight this issue to more and more families um, we managed to get over 13,000 signatures to our petition so thank you to everybody that signed that I was one <laughs> thank you very much um, and basically the government came back to us yesterday oh and they breaking say, news actually, breaking news here um, and basically what they said is that they are going to look at the forms to make it easier and to point this out to people that they should be claiming child benefit there is you know an issue there with state pension credits um, but what they haven't done so far is to say that they'll work on the backdating issue mm. um, so I think there's a lot more work still to be done there and on a separate point as well we need to make sure that when um, you're claiming national insurance credits that it's the right partner that does it I think sometimes it's the person who's working goes okay I'll fill out these forms and I'll claim the credit whereas it's your partner who's at home that needs the credit the good news with that though is that you can backdate those things so you know do get in contact and and get that money back well thanks again to the blogger and writer paulette perhatch moira o'neill from interactive investor and helen morrissey from world london who you just heard there in need of further inspiration you can read my column six costly financial mistakes that women need to avoid online now at ft.com slash six mistakes the ft has helpfully put it in front of the paywall making it easier for you to read and share for as i say Prevention is better than cure. There's also a link to the petition that Helen mentioned about child benefit in that article. Male or female, we would welcome your emails on this subject. You can get in touch with us by emailing money at ft.com or follow us on Twitter at ftmoney. If you like what you hear, tell your friends about the FT Money Show or even leave a review on our iTunes page or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Claire Barrett signing off from the FT Money Show this week, but we will be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. 
Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.